We continue our look at uh, Exodus on page 52, and we see uh, Benware speaking of the background points of Exodus. He makes a brilliant point that practically every book in the Old Testament makes some reference back to Exodus, and that the mighty acts of the releasing of the people from slavery and the law given at Sinai is throughout the whole of the Old Testament. And the book's also important historically. It's recording the early days of Israel as a new nation. It received the constitution, the origins of many of the religious customs and practices. And this is where they start. If you want to understand the nation of Israel, you must understand the Exodus. Just as important as the Abrahamic covenant was, Exodus is important as well to understand how the nation of Israel developed. On page 53 under B, there's some important background scriptures. Genesis 15 speaks of the enslavement and the residents in Egypt as something that was going to come. And now it has happened. The years in Egypt were all a part of God's purposes for Israel. This wasn't some sort of uh, mistake, God relaxing and being caught off guard, but Israel needed to go through this time of protection where they multiplied, where they gained everything that they needed to become the nation God wanted them to be. And so we move on to the summary of Exodus at the bottom of page 53 in the left-hand column. And we find the journey from Egypt to Mount Sinai in chapters 1 through 18. And so Israel starts off in bondage. They are left with Joseph in a great place of leadership in Egypt. And then we find them in slavery 275 years later. Benware says the historical silence of 275 years is broken in chapter 1, when Moses relates two important facts. First, the nation experienced a tremendous growth. That's in Exodus 1.7. And secondly, he records the nation fell out of favor with the rulers and into slavery. That's a critical passage to understand uh, where the nation is, understand the book of Exodus, that there arose a pharaoh in Egypt who did not know Joseph. In the first paragraph of page 53 in the second column, so you're looking at the right-hand side, about halfway down that paragraph, it says, uh, it was into this setting, rather, whichever group it was, Israel became the target of oppression and brutality. It was into that setting that God's deliverer, Moses, was born. Verse 22 records that Pharaoh commanded all his people saying, Every son that's born to the Hebrews you shall cast into the river Nile, but you shall let every daughter live. And there was a man, chapter 2, from the house of Levi, and his wife conceived and bore a son. And when she saw that he was a fine son, she, made, she hid him three for three months. This is Exodus chapter 2. And by the way, it's important to have your Bibles open because we will flip back and forth between the book at times, and the scripture. That just fills out a little bit of what Paul Benware is saying in page 53, that into this setting, Moses was born, and he's born into a Levite family. And the, uh, the mother 
when the child could no longer, verse 3 of Exodus 2, when the child could no longer, um, when she could hide him no longer, she took a basket made of bulrushes. These are reeds, uh, plants, and she dabbed them in, in bitumen or tar, and she put the child in it and placed it among the reeds of the riverbank. And maybe you know the historical narrative, the historical story here, but Pharaoh's daughter, the princess, finds Moses. He's unharmed, he's fine, and she takes Moses and she brings him into the house and and brings him up as her own son. In fact, God is so merciful there in Exodus chapter 2 that Pharaoh's daughter uh, brings on Moses' very mother to care for the child and to nurse him to health. And so um, God is looking out for Moses, looking out for the nation, and even caring for a mourning mother in the process. What a great God we serve who loves in that kind of way. Back to Benware, page 53. Um, It says in the... Again, the first paragraph on the right-hand side of page 53. Because of his own impulsive, violent actions, Moses was forced to escape from Egypt. And this happened when he was somewhere around 40 years old. So we skipped forward just a little bit, and very quickly so. Moses grew up in the court, and then he has to leave and head to Midian. When Moses was 80 years old, and this is the second paragraph on 53 in the right-hand column. When he's 80 years old, God's time for redeeming his people from slavery came. God remembered his covenant with Abraham, and he called Moses from the burning bush to be his man to lead the people out of Egypt and into the promised land. In the bottom final paragraph on page 53 speaks of the plagues of God on Egypt. Uh, When confronted by Moses to release Israel, Pharaoh arrogantly challenged God. Ten plagues followed, and the incident of the Red Sea answered the challenge and educated Pharaoh on the subject of who is Lord. The miraculous deeds also instructed the people of Israel. Now, you can look at page 55 and see the plagues in Egypt. This chart on page 55, it's got the ten plagues, It lists what they are, and then it asks the question, did Israel have to go through these? Is Israel exempt? And for a number of them, Israel goes through for the first three, and then from then on, yes, Israel does not have to go uh, through the the, uh, suffering. And each of the plagues seems to have been directed at uh, Egyptian God. And so you can get the name of the gods with who the plague seems to be directed at from from that. The Lord is teaching Israel. He's putting Egypt, as it were, in its place. A nation that oppresses Israel will suffer, and God is committed to the nation of Israel. The plagues, uh, back. let's go to page 54. So we were just looking at the chart on page 55. You see the... Uh, the image of the Sphinx there and the nose has is, is been rubbed off over all these years. Yet Egypt was a great and majestic nation. And 
first paragraph on 54 in the left column, we see God is bringing all of these plagues to show that he is the true and living God. And so you can look through that. Let's skip past the, the plagues. Let's go to the, uh, the, the next, I suppose it's just the next paragraph, the institution of the Passover. So the final plague is going to be the firstborn of every animal and every uh, family in Egypt is going to die. And so this wonderful institution of Passover is formed and God delivers his people uh, through that, as it were, through the sacrifice. And this foretells beautifully the picture of the Lord Jesus Christ, who is our Passover. Benware says, The perfect lamb had to be slain, the blood shed, and the blood applied. Doing these things would save a person from judgment, and as a result of the Passover, all the firstborn of Israel now belonged to the Lord. This all looks forward to Jesus Christ and his death. So following the plagues, and finally the tenth plague, where even the son of Pharaoh died, then uh, Egypt was ready to send Israel out. God had done all the convincing that was necessary. And now the destruction of the Egyptian army. The Pharaoh saw that the Israelites had actually left the land, and his hardened and sinful heart drove him to go after. So they released Israel, and then they pursued Israel. Israel found itself trapped between the Red Sea and the oncoming army, and God saved Israel. The seas parted and the people got away. He destroyed the Egyptian army, and Israel was free, never to look back to Egypt uh, in the same way again. The journey to Mount Sinai, chapters 15 through 18, the spectacular and timely deliverance at this Red Sea brought forth praise from the lips of Moses and the people. But after only three days into the journey, Israel began to grumble about their situation. In this case, their problem was a lack of water. Israel was going to be known for complaining, and they were not um, thankful people. You know, our our children have been given, um, my wife Erin and our children were given some years back by um, David Brown, his his wife, um, Karen. She gave them a, a thankful book. And what a, what a life-changing thing to continually write what you're thankful for. It's very, very difficult to stumble into sin when you're being a thankful person. And this is a habit that is uh, greatly to, uh, it's just, it's really important for us to be thankful people. I was just talking to uh, another man who is helping someone in his church who just has a bad attitude. He's got some marital problems and the man is struggling. And my friend gave him the the advice. He said, well, why don't don't you start giving a list of things to give thanks for? And the guy gave gave, um, only just a few. He couldn't come up with many even after a week or a week or two. He was only coming up with just uh, a, a few things for which he could say thank you. Uh, 
And complaining hearts, sinful hearts cannot uh, tolerate giving thanks. And thankful hearts have a hard time tolerating complaining. So Israel is known for its complaints. There's no food, there's no water. Time and time again, Moses listens to the people complaining. Now we find ourselves on page 55 under that chart on the plagues of Egypt. It says, The journey to Mount Sinai took about three months. Moses recorded four places where Israel stopped along the way. He stopped at a place called Mara, which means bitter. Bitter waters were miraculously turned into drinkable waters. You find that in Exodus 15. And the oasis of Elam, they rested there. It's also in chapter 15, verse 27. Then they journeyed through what's called the wilderness of sin, where God met their needs by supernaturally supplying the manna. And I'm not sure what what everyone's read and thought about the manna from heaven, but Jesus is the manna from heaven. He This is a foreshadowing of Jesus Christ coming as the manna from heaven. This supplying of manna for food on a daily basis lasted for 40 years. 